uh, to get that really good class. Sadly, I can't recommend our class in here uh, because we're really maxed out. Uh, I'd love to have you come and join, but we, we really don't because we got 82 chairs and Scott brings his own uh, as a wheelchair. So we got room for 83, and right now we're in the 60s and 70s, um, typically on Sundays, counting little people. So it's not quite you know on that one. Uh, but you know the, the rule is 60% and so that's 64 chairs being full and, and we're pushing that every week and so um, Amen. Yeah. yeah, and it is a blessing on that part um, So but pastor class is good. I just always uh, give him a hard time uh, in that he never gives me a hard time And I do try to get people out of his class uh, over, the, over the two years we've been here because you know, that's the easiest class to go to when people visit mm -hmm. is that, you know, we're due to the church. We'll go to the pastor's Sunday school mm -hmm. class. Well, his class is getting back full, even though we moved to the new room <coughs> last year. And you can have a few more people that sooner or later, some people in his Sunday school class are going to need to go to another class to make room for new people to come in. Not mm -hmm. everybody, but, you know, a few people on that. And so we're actually, you know, needing to start to do that, too. Mm -hmm. So somebody go ahead and pick us up there in verse 24. and Just read that whole paragraph through 28, please. Oh, sorry. We're in Acts 14. Sorry about that. And they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attila. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And there remained no little time with the disciples. So, overview, what's finishing up right here in this paragraph? Uh, Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. <laughs> okay, so Paul and Barnabas, this was the first missionary journey. Um, so typically you just track it with Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, Barnabas just kind of gets passed by the wayside after they do the one together uh, because when they get ready to go for number two, what happens? They separate. Okay, they separate because John Mark, all right. And what did John Mark do? Yeah, so he was on the first missionary journey, left with them from Antioch, went over to Cyprus, and then when they got over onto mainland to the Greece area there, uh, Perga, I think it might have been, uh, he bailed camp and went back to Mama in Jerusalem uh, on that. And so uh, Paul's attitude to, to John Mark at that point was? Yeah. Not, not really committed. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're dead to me. Uh, but Barnabas... Uh, being the encourager that he is, uh, what did he want to do? Yeah, he, he, he wanted to help John Mark, and he goes, you know, goes, goes, Paul, come on now, you know, he deserves a second chance. And of course, Paul was, you know, sticking the mud, and he was like, no. And so, then Barnabas took John Mark, and they went eastward. And so we would call that Asia, but that's not the Asia that we think of today. Asia, it was just, you know, eastern Turkey. Uh, Syria, that area, mm -hmm. up into that uh, mm -hmm. part there. So <clears throat> last week we were reading uh, the verses before this. They had gone out to the furthest point that they went, and then what were they doing? Coming back. So they're coming back through. Back through what? The same areas that they went through the first time. Okay. So, so we, we got to see this picture. You know, they left Antioch. And they went to Cyprus, and then they went to mainland, uh, their Greece, and they went out through the western part of modern-day Turkey. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then they went as far as they were, and now they're going back through not necessarily all the cities that they mm -hmm. planted churches in, but many of the cities that they planted churches in. Why would they do that? One, to check on, see how they're doing since they had left. Okay. Obviously, it's not like today where we can drive 200 miles and be back 
the afternoon. Okay, so Park was checking in on them. All right, why else would they be wanting to go back through? So, so they're coaching them up, they're encouraging, make sure the doctrine's still there. And then one of the specific things that we talked about last week, <clears throat> what were they definitely doing if they hadn't already done it before? Oh, uh, raising up elders. Okay, so they were raising up elders in each of the church. And that's where we talked about, you know, multiplicity of elders. Mm -hmm. So it was plural for each church. And so it seemed like there was more than one elder being raised up in each of the churches. Mm -hmm. And so now they're finishing that back up and they're going to end up at Antioch. And which Antioch is this? <laughs> so it's, it's the, the Syria Antioch, okay, <clears throat> over uh, just east of the Mediterranean Sea. So the other Antioch is up there in modern-day Turkey, Greece, Macedonia. I forget exactly where that one um, is in my head at the moment. Um, so they're coming the whole way back, and they're coming back to Antioch. So <clears throat> somebody go ahead and read us 26 there. We don't. We can. We can skip through the cities. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Okay. So, what's commended mean? Uh, recognized, congratulated. Say. Complimented. Complimented. Entrusted. Entrusted. Acknowledged. Jenny, what'd you have? Acknowledged. Oh, I was thinking what piece. Say that again. Congratulated. Congratulated. Okay. <clears throat> so, so why were they getting this fanfare? Why were they what? Why were they getting the fanfare? Why, why were they getting being commended? They, they did something that other people wouldn't think about doing. Yeah, no. and, and that's where there's that balance of encouraging people and, and commending them for what they do for God, but yet not going over the top and making it all about the people, you know, because it's God working through them. So then, how can that apply to your and my life? I will, well, I sometimes compliment people because they can talk about things better than I can. I mean, I mean, I can share, but I mean, I back down. Okay, good. I'm listening to them, I commend them; they can do it. But then later on, I guess the way they talk encourages me to do it. Okay, good. Somebody else, how else can this apply for us? Well, what's opportunities that we have? When we share the gospel with someone else, and we and they actually accept salvation, and they come to church and they tell people about it, okay. it raises us up, okay, as well as the church as well. Okay, All right. somebody else, how can this apply to your life? I think it's just a good. I think um, in everyday life you meet people. And in your circumstances, you may see an opportunity to praise the Lord for something that happened in <coughs> that small group that you're in, mm -hmm. and you plant that seed and let the Lord work with it. Mm -hmm. As family, we need to be sharing with each other how God is working in and through us. I didn't actually ask that question tonight. just realized that. <laughs> but we should be sharing testimonies of how God is at work around us and through us. Again, as we've talked about before, not so we're patting ourselves on the back, but yet we're giving testimony about what God is doing. Mm -hmm. right? And that he can use a broken you know, vessel like me uh, in doing that. Mm -hmm. And so that can be an encouragement to somebody else that isn't allowing themselves to be used. Or another application to that is when you're around people and you see them being used of God, Go up and commend them. Mm -hmm. You know, give them a little pat on the back. You know, thank them. You know, mm -hmm. for letting them. You know, let God use you. You know, thank you. Glad you would let God use you. So, God. I think especially if you if you think that you can't do it, but you go ahead and you step out on faith and you do it, and then people commend you, and that kind of gives you the courage to keep going. Mm -hmm. Just keep working at it and keep going. So, second great commandment, like the first, is what? Love, love our neighbor as ourselves. All right. And, and so, you going up and commending people mm -hmm. and thanking them for using the gifts that God has given them, mm -hmm. you know, that's a, a way of loving on people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
I don't do this here uh, every single Sunday, but just something that I've got built in. If we go to a different church, and so like well, after Christmas we were down in Alabama and we went to Kinsey and Blake's church, <clears throat> I make a point after the service, no matter how good or bad it was, I go up to the pastor or whoever spoke and I thank him for the message and I don't lie to them. You know, I don't say, man, that was just the best I've ever heard, unless it was really good. But yet I compliment them for their effort and for being willing to be used by God. The same thing with the singers. Uh, I don't go up there and tell them that, you know, man, you're Michael W. Smith or Stephen Curtis or Chapman. Uh, because, again, I'm not going to go up there. You know, lying is not encouraging to people. But yet you don't have to go up there and say, man, you really suck today uh, you know, on that part. Uh, but you just go up and be honest with them and say, man, it helped that you were willing to be up there. You know, that, that you were willing to get over being in front of people and lead the scene on that part. And uh, just because, you know, I'm a visitor in that church and I'm only going to be there a one-off. Uh, but I want to be commending people and encouraging people. And so that's just kind of a, uh, I've got certain things that I follow because uh, I'm a systems person. And, you know, I'm just going to do that every time. Uh, I've written that down. Like Pastor says, you know, there's a lot of things in life that you only need to make that decision once, and then you just execute it when you're in that situation. Every time you're in that situation, you know, it's kind of like being part of the church family every Sunday. You know, I made that decision once, and you know, if there's a service, I'm going to be here. You know, type of thing. There, I don't need to think about it on Sunday morning or Saturday night or anything like that. So, all right. So, <clears throat> commended them uh, to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Also, to me, it's just a challenge of, are you allowing God to use you? Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we all have different talents, gifts, and abilities in here. You know, are you really allowing God to use you? you know, are you a servant? Or are you a consumer? Now, that doesn't mean you have to serve every single you know, uh, service or every single event or ministry that we have, but are you serving some? Mm -hmm. Or are you just totally a consumer and you're just taking in, taking in, taking in, taking in? That doesn't make a good family member. You know, if you're just taking in, taking in, taking in. You, know, you gotta figure out you know, how you can serve. You know, just think about Miss Colleen. You know, I saw her in the hallway last week you know, and I was like, and she goes, I was in the nursery tonight. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. <clears throat> you know, and so when she's not in here, you know, she's here pretty much every Wednesday night. But the Wednesday night she's not in this room, she's in the nursery you know, on that part. That, you know, that's an area where, you know, she can serve and she can work. And so, you know, it might not be Paul and Barnabas leading a missionary journey, but where can you work, where can you do? So we go ahead and read us 27. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Okay. So when he says they opened the door to the faith of the Gentiles, what does that mean? They brought them the word. Okay. All right. They, unlike the Jews where they had the Old Testament and that they knew through scripture, through their scripture, that they had, that Christ has come, okay. and he's proclaiming it. The Gentiles didn't have that. Okay. Somebody else? What does it mean that they opened the door of faith to the Gentiles? They can evangelize to everyone, the Samaritans, everyone, just like Jesus evangelized the Samaritans. Well, yeah. Good. Somebody else? They didn't have to be obedient to the Jewish customs and laws. Miss mm -hmm. Mary, do you have something? I was thinking like they were, well, it's sort of like they had to, I don't know if that's the right word, introduce like the Lord to them. It's just like he had to explain, it's like more explanation needed when you're trying to get them to see something they had probably never been exposed to. Somebody's not happy there. <laughs> Just to paint the picture of, you know, that modern-day Turkey area, especially um, back in that time, there were really three types of people. Okay? 
So you have the Jews that were ethnically Jew, okay, and they were practicing Jews on that. And then you had Gentiles that became Jews, all right? And so they're, they're, they're living out the Jewish faith. Um, so pastor references the Septuagint. What is the Septuagint? Old Testament Greek. Okay, so it's the Old Testament in Greek. Mm -hmm. When was it written? Two or three BC. Yeah. yeah so it was before Jesus came along, all right, yeah. uh, that it was written. Why was it written? Because they were conquered by Alexander the Great. That was true, but that's not why they wrote it in Greek. The, the Greeks need Okay. <laughs> that is true, but that, you know, on that one. The Greeks needed something that they could read in their own language. Yeah, so you've got these Gentiles, okay, that are coming to Jewish faith, and they haven't been taking Hebrew since they were, you know, born type of thing there. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they translated it into Greek. So then these Gentiles that were following the Greek Old Testament, they could actually read it for themselves. And then you have Gentiles that were just Gentiles. Uh, and so when you think about... Those three different groups, yes, two of them had the Old Testament, but yet at this time, very few of those three groups at all had Jesus. All right. So there's a good chance that in some of these areas, some of these towns, there was at least some or a couple people that had gone to when? We covered it at the very beginning of Acts. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was probably, you know, some of that area, they may have a couple people in each little city, maybe that had gone to Pentecost and had experienced that. And, and so, but not very many. Um, even though there was 3,000 that were saved there, uh, that you spread that all around the Mediterranean Sea and you still don't, you know, have very many people in very many towns. Mm -hmm. But if you think back through, that's what happened in Rome. And so that's why Paul had to write to Rome because. You know, they had some people that got saved at Pentecost and they went back to Rome and they didn't have very much education in the Bible. And so they were doing the best they can. They were ignorance on fire, but that's why he had to write, you know, basically a systematic theology in the book of Romans to them. He, he was giving them, you know, okay, this is, this is what the church is about. And they needed that. Neil? When it, when it said they, they, uh, they had come together, gathered the church together, was this a, a Jewish church? Because it said that, uh, when, that he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Uh, and so I'm thinking that he's talking, he's, he's showing, he's giving them a word of encouragement that this word is also for the Gentiles. So it would seem like the majority at Antioch would have been <coughs> Jewish believers now. But yet there still would be Gentiles within the church at Antioch, just proportionally not the same on that. So it would be a smaller proportion. But when they went out on the first missionary journey, they were going where it was the other. Okay, Most of the people were Gentiles with a small minority that were Gentiles that became Jews, and then a smaller group even that were Jew-Jews that, that lived in that area. So, so that, that's where this is, this is really something new. You know, that, that, that Gentiles actually have the opportunity to get the gospel. Now, Jesus was pushing it. We see it in the Old Testament where Jewish people came to faith. I mean, Gentile people came to faith. But yet the, the, the Jews were really locked in, you know, that, you know, we're the best. You know, and only kind of, us. Yeah, only us. You know, kind of holding it there. Even once they became believers. So, Anything else on 27 jumping out at you? All right, somebody reads 28. And they, and, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Okay. The, the English is a little challenging there. What's that sentence actually mean? Yeah, we spent a lot of time with the disciples. Okay, all right. And so, you know, that whole sharing, and again, that was their home church, their sending church, so to speak. And so uh, they were back teaching there, uh, and then they were in there and going. All right. So now we make a little turn. All right. Neil. Now, and they both a long time with the disciples, and I've got believers. Yes. With, with, is everyone who is a believer a disciple? Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. So how do, how do we articulate that? 
How should we look at those terms? Believer, Christian, disciple. Leslie, I know you, you just want to jump in. Well, maybe noun versus action verb. You know. Say it again? Maybe noun versus verb. In which way? Well, as a believer, that defines you, and then as a disciple, that's an action. Okay. All right. Good. You go and evangelize. Okay. Good. When you're a disciple, you're a follower of, you know, in this case, we're a disciple of Christ. We are a follower of Christ. Okay. Somebody else? So at face value, they're interchangeable. They're the same. Now, when we were reading a little bit earlier in the book of Acts, what was the title that came up? And it wasn't a positive thing. Christian. Christian. Yeah. They were first called Christians, right? But that was derogatory. They were actually getting made fun of. Oh, look at the little Christ. Look at the little Christ. You know, that really wasn't a positive thing. But then it was embraced. But the, the number one term during that time would have been disciple. Now, that's where we've got to be careful because when we're in 2024, we often want to use those, those terms in different ways. Okay, and, and Leslie hit right on that. You know, often, when we think of disciple, you know, we're thinking, oh, well, that's somebody that's really living out their faith. You know, versus somebody that just believes or is just a Christian. Now, can that be correct? It can be. Yes. You know, sadly, it should not be. You know, we should all be disciples. You know, we're all believers. We're all Christians. We should all be living out our faith and being disciples and make disciples and make disciples. And so, again, at face value, Neil, those are all the same terms. So what apostle and disciple that would be different or that would be the same okay so <clears throat> depends if we're using a lowercase letter or a capital letter all right so if we're using a capital a apostle then it's going to be the 12, 12. Mm -hmm. and we would also say like a capital d disciple you know one of the 12 or 13 depending on you know how you look at that with Matthias and that whole type of thing there so um but if you're looking at uh where we're all to be apostles, then that's lowercase a, and we're all disciples, that's lowercase d. And that's just Mike's systematic thinking right there, saying the capital and the lowercase. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not like, you know, you're going to get taught that at seminary. Uh, just Mike level of explaining <laughs> there. So today, do we have any capital A apostles? No. Okay, no. Now, do we have some people that put that in their title and in their name yes. and go by it? Yes. yes. And that's where we'd be nice to them and we don't yell and scream at them and tell them, you know, you're not being biblical uh, and that type of thing. But on the inside, we realize that they, they're really not, you know, capital A apostle. Uh, you know, that, that line of succession has ceased. Uh, and so uh, that, that's just not there. Does that help, Neil? Okay, great. Just like with Neil there, you know, anytime we hit something, you got a question, you know, just you know, pop up the hand there or just blurt it out type thing. Okay, so now we're going to make a turn here. Uh, we've got a big event coming up. And so the whole thing is going to start there, verse 1, and it's going to go the whole way through the chapter. Uh, but let's just do it in pieces. Let's do it one paragraph at a time. And so somebody start us off there at verse 1, and we'll go through verse 5. And certain men came down from Judea, and taught the brethren, and taught the brethren, <clears throat> unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Keep going through five. <clears throat> okay. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused, a great, caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them 
and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Okay. And then we're going to get more of the details as we work through the chapter. Okay. So <clears throat> they start off there. Uh, read verse 1 for us again, somebody. But some men came down from Judea teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay. So these men, who, who were these men? Judaizers. Judaizers. Okay. Uh, what, what else do we know about them? There's, they are saved, or they have believed in Christ, but they're adding. Okay. So, again, we can't, we can't judge anyone's salvation, but it seems like the way uh, Luke is presenting them, that they're believers. And so they're, they're preaching the gospel, they're teaching the gospel, but then they're adding in, oh, but if you're going to be a believer, you've got to be circumcised. Okay? So then somebody go ahead and read us verse 2. And after Paul, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of, the, some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Okay. So again, the, the way that's worded, it's not exactly simple to pick it up, but uh, what kind of dissension and debate were they having? Yes, yeah, it, it was a big one, okay? And so Paul and Barnabas, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, they're like, no, 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 uh, no way, no how, all right? And so then what did the church decide to do? go to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles there to get the final say. Which way are we going with this? Okay. So seemingly who's pretty much staying around Jerusalem? Peter and the, the original okay. 12. The Peter and some of the other original ones, they might be going out and about a little bit, but they're pretty much just centered out of Jerusalem. Right? And so they're kind of holding court I'm not meaning that in a bad way, all right, uh, in, in a good way. And so that's, that's really the center of Christianity. And they're the ones that are kind of disseminating, you know, what is right and what is not right. And so that's where, you know, the church is like, Paul Barnabas, you need to go down there, put this on their radar so that they kind of send out messengers. They write some letters to go out to make sure that we get this corrected. So that's kind of the picture of what they want to have happened, or what they want to happen. All right. Um, let's see, what are we up to there? So uh, this is one of those where uh, we picked it up when we were in Israel this year. Many times in the scriptures, you'll have uh, to go up to Jerusalem. So for those of you that are geographically astute, you know that Antioch is north of Jerusalem, okay? And so if you're, you know, very astute geographically, if you were going to go from Antioch to Jerusalem, you would say, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem, all right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you're southern and you're not overly geographically astute, okay, doesn't matter where you're going, you're always going up, going up there, all right? This is neither of those situations, all right? <laughs> Why is the phrase often going up to Jerusalem? Antioch was on the low level near the uh, Mediterranean Sea, and Jerusalem was up in the hills. Yeah. So, so when we say hills and mountains in Israel, you know, we're not talking like Rockies. Uh, sometimes we're not even really talking about the Appalachians, uh, you know. But yet, there's an elevation change. And that's like the drastic change. And so Jerusalem is at a high elevation. And so when you approach Jerusalem from anywhere else in Israel, you had to go vertical. There, there had to be a climb and elevation. And so that's why most of the time people will say, we got to go up to Jerusalem because you, you had to uh, vertically climb up there. Okay. Anybody else seeing anything in two? Who are these elders? So just like when they were in the churches that they had started and they raised up elders, what those guys are are the pastors of those local churches. 
And so when these elders are going down, these are pastors within the church at Antioch. So again, we have a multiplicity of eldership. Uh, during this day and time, very few are vocational like Paul and Barnabas. Most of the elders during this time are bivocational, co-vocational. And so they have a job, and then they're also part of the leadership, part of the pastor group of the church. Right, I'm tracking that, but it says that going up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders. So then those elders are also the ones in the church there at Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. And so it would be the pastors of, you know, Second Baptist Jerusalem and Third Baptist Jerusalem and, you know, places like that. But anytime you hear that, the elders, uh, it's pretty much going to be the specific group of people that are in leadership of local churches. That, that's just not, that's not a term that's just thrown out there like disciple or Christian. Uh, and it's not thrown out there uh, very few times as meaning the old people. Okay. There are a few passages where elder is used to talk about older versus younger, but most of the time when you see elder in the New Testament, it's talking about the men that were elevated within the local churches to lead. Mike, you got a question? Aaron? It might be a small detail, but what do you think? So it says some men. you think it was, was it men of status that were coming down there, or was it just a significant number of men that they found the input? coming from Jerusalem that wouldn't have concern enough for them to go to Jerusalem I'm going to say probably both because again not everybody has the means to be able to leave home for an extended period of time and so it would probably be people that had a certain level of means but it would also be men that have a certain level of they're in the church uh, they might not be elders yet at this point but they're tracking in that direction so it was almost like a opposite missionary journey. Like like Paul had his missionary journeys and stuff. It was these guys were kind of doing their own missionary journey. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and so that's where they would be centered out of Jerusalem and go out and around and then come back, and then go out and around this way and come back. And we saw that with Peter, you know, in the beginning of Acts, because the beginning of Acts is more about Peter, and then it transitions to Paul, and that's where we had Peter going out and uh, and doing these missionary journeys and coming back normally shorter so go ahead Jerry little way yeah <laughs> okay usually when you got so this number that they were disputing would you say it was like a 50 50 because if you had like a 80 percent favor this way and 20 this way the 80 kind of smuttered to 20 mm -hmm. so are we at about like a 50 50 what percentage do you think we were at? We don't. They don't have no say to it. We don't. Okay. But I'm always good to give an answer like I could guess. Yeah. So I'm gonna go ninety-five five. <laughs> yeah, the, now in certain. Okay, so you tell me that the five got this group to go up and find this answer. Oh, oh, oh! No, 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 yeah. no, no! A majority of the church at Antioch yeah. thought that this was such a big issue that they needed to go up there and defend the issue. So yeah, I'd say the majority, you know, of the Antioch church was like, this is the, this is worth fighting over. A little yeast. What's that? A little yeast. Yes. But now, as far as how many people were adding in uh, circumcision to being a believer, yeah. I think that's a smaller percentage. Yeah. Now it existed, it could have been 80-20 uh, on that part there. Um, and we just don't know. But we do know the majority were, were, were not teaching circumcision that you needed for being a believer. Okay. So what I was thinking about when I read this passage was <clears throat> and we've been in situations like this as we look at application, but mm -hmm. you know they were this is a real pivotal moment mm -hmm. for um, faith versus uh, works, mm -hmm. faith and works. And um, <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas just come off with this campaign of, you know, teaching and preaching and seeing God work and believers, um, you know, placing faith in Christ without circumcision, without works. In fact, that's what they're preaching. So when they leave and they're on their way up to Jerusalem, you know, there's this emotion, you know, 
that they really would have. Mm -hmm. And um, um, I was thinking about it in the context of, you know, uh, when we're right, we really feel dogmatically that we're right about something. Mm -hmm. Amen. You have to, um, how do you, you know, you're challenged to control your emotions mm -hmm. in that kind of a confront confrontation. Yes. Um, so I'm just thinking that as they're going to Jerusalem, you know, they're, Paul's got to be saying, you know, I'm not taking no for an answer, you know. Uh, and that's where we've got to be aware of the context that we're in. And so when we're amongst fellow believers within a church family, mm -hmm. we can really push back and forth with each other. Mm -hmm. And we should be okay with that. Right? But now, if you're amongst non-family, you know, spiritual family, and you're amongst lost people, do we need to be doing that with each other? No. 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 We, need, we need to just wait till we're around each other and work through, you know, secondary issues and third tertiary issues on that part. We just need to stay on the main point, the main point, the main point when we're around lost people on that. So, um, so okay. Ms. Donna, I knew, I knew I saw another hand. I know it's probably wrong, but, you know, a lot of these newly converted Jews were, had been circumcised when they were really babies and that to them that was being part of yes so they're really kind of wanting to go back to the Judaism mm -hmm. and the law as opposed to they're, not, this was they're, kind of they're wanting thing. to bring their culture into mm -hmm. Christianity mm -hmm. and so that's where we have to be careful especially for us in the West mm -hmm. when we're evangelizing and church planting around the world we have to be very careful in not bringing Western Christianity to wherever we are in the world and thinking that we have it right and we need to teach them exactly how we have it and we do it. That's where we need to make sure we stay with the Bible, but yet when we have church, how long we have it, exactly what we do in it, we can't say that that's like right for every ethnic culture, geographical culture. Now, sadly, early on, you know, when we think about U.S. history, we did not do well at that. You know, especially when you think about like the Native American population. You know, you know, there was no compromise. You know, especially from the Catholic Church perspective. You know, but even with Protestants working with Native Americans, you know, there was like. There was no wiggle room between trying to work with them moving out of their, their historical faith from Native American spirituality into Christianity. We were like, no, you got to do it this way and be this way. And so, so we still got to do that when we're going around the world. Lynn brought up an interesting topic there when he's talking about this circumcision. He brought in the word works. How does that connect? Why, why is he bringing that into the talk about salvation and, and being a believer? Because part of the, the Old Testament, the law was basically a law of works. Okay. All Whereas right. with the New Covenant, it's a law of grace. Okay. Mm -hmm. Somebody else want to add in? It's hard for, uh, for us to believe that you know, salvation is so simple. You know, God gives us grace, and he forgives our sins uh, simply by <coughs> us believing in him and, and, and asking. And uh, you always feel like, but I've got to do something, and that's where the works come in. So is that the natural man in us that's wanting to do the work? I mean, it's another part of we're trying to fight when we're trying to follow Christ, but this natural man just keeps popping out. I because it so. does. I, I don't yeah. I, I don't want to eat without working and earning my keep. So I guess anything I approach, I do have that attitude. And and that's typically more from a good work ethic, which was actually a positive aspect. It actually probably normally comes from a negative aspect of, you know, well, I'm controlling this. <coughs> so I don't think you're doing that in the example you gave. Uh, but I think that's what they're like, you know, I'm making the rules. Yeah, I'm saved by grace alone through faith, 
but yet, you know, I want to keep control of this, and so we need to add this in or add this in or add this in. And so that's where Pastor, you know, he's guided the church over the years to, that's why we don't do a sinner's prayer, and that's why we don't do an altar call. Now, many of you had a moment of salvation through that. So not downplaying it or poo-pooing it. But yet, Pastor wants us to understand that believing is believing and that's enough and it needs to be enough mm -hmm. you believe and then you see your faith lived out through obedience mm -hmm. and that should give you your assurance of salvation if somebody asks you what is your assurance of salvation it should not be well I walked down the aisle at this age and I said a sinner's prayer and the pastor patted me on the back and said you're saved now, you might have gone through those events, but you can't let works of man be your assurance. Mm -hmm. And so, I know for a lot of you, you're seeing, well, circumcision and a sinner's prayer and walking down the aisle is a little different from each other. But it's ultimately something you're tagging on mm -hmm. to believing. And it's typically more for other people so that other people feel better especially parents and grandparents. <coughs> because you're not trusting in God's sovereignty that your children and grandchildren can just believe. You want to be able to see them walk down the aisle and, and, and say a sinner's prayer and, and, and get baptized right off the bat and get patted on the back. Versus you get to watch them living out their faith if they believe or not live it out. And sadly, over the last 50 years, we've seen many children and grandchildren go down the aisle, say a sinner's prayer, get baptized, and then they were off the reservation. But yet, oh, we had that moment. So they're believers, they're saved, they're going to heaven. But yet, nothing in their life would show you that except for the man-made mm -hmm. mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so that's why... You know, pastor's challenging us. We need to remove the man-made mechanisms there and allow people to let the Holy Spirit move. And if the Holy Spirit moves them, then we're going to see the obedience in their life, and then they're going to get their own assurance, and then we can get assurance through that. Somebody had a hand over here on that. Clyde. I don't know if this would apply or not, but when you look at this, you've got Paul and Barnabas over here, circumcision's over with. Okay, you got this group of men that are coming in and telling these people, says they're teaching them that it's still active. Mm -hmm. Well, within the church body, which, and then they to 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 solve it, they went to the leaders and apostles to come up with the determination. Because in this case, this could be a deal breaker. Mm -hmm. In some things within your Christian family, things mm -hmm. aren't deal breakers. Whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, a-trib, aren't deal breakers, okay? Mm -hmm. But this would have been a situation for this church because these men came after Paul and Barnabas had already been there. They'd already taught what they taught. And it's, it says right the way it says it here, it was Paul and Barnabas that called them on question, not really the church as a whole. There might have been, but it's specifically they were the ones that were called on carpet towards the men that brought that in which I kind of saw that as a good example of there's going to be some especially when you move from the old covenant to the new covenant there's things that are not deal breakers I mean you've got to stand on one not either one and so when we think through theology some we can call it first degree or primary or there's other terms that you can you know, put on certain theological points that are gospel. It's dealing with salvation. And then there are some that aren't dealing with salvation, but they're still kind of important. 
And so we're going to hold them in a secondary, a second degree type of thing there. And then there's some that are, you know, third level, tertiary uh, level type that. And so that's where, as believers, we all have to hold that first level of theology the same. And then that second level, that's typically where you're going to see your denominational differences to where, you know, you're going to hold this, this, and this, but this other denomination, they don't quite hold to that same level. And then that third level is where you're going to deal with, even within the same denomination, even within the same church, you can differ along those lines. And so that's where, <clears throat> going back to, um, you know, Clyde, what you said there about uh, different theological points. So Pastor, over the last two months, has really pushed in on talking through dispensationalism, uh, covenantism and then new covenant theology okay and it's not that those that that belief system is primary or it deals with salvation okay it's not those points in and of themselves are actually tertiary or third degree all right so we can differ on them within Baptist circles and we're still Baptist we can differ on them even within Berean Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. The reason Pastor is pushing in on this so heavily is because how do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? How did you come to that conclusion? Mm -hmm. And it's the way that you processed through God's Word that He's really pushing in on and challenging everybody because within the 1900s within the United States you have pre-trib, pre-mill dispensationalism on the rise and it was really just it was volume and so most churches, most church members oh yeah, pre-mill, pre-trib that's me but the only reason they hold to that is because that's just what they've been told by their pastor and by their church and they can't defend it and they can't talk you through why they believe that. And that's why pastor's saying that's not acceptable. Right? He's okay with you disagreeing with where he is, but he's challenging you. You got to figure out through the Bible how you get to those points. That's why he's making such a big deal out of this over the last 2 months. It's not that the point is a primary or even secondary theological point it's really third degree tertiary on that but it's how you're getting there in so many churches you know the majority of the churches like you said last Sunday or the Sunday before last you know you know most evangelical churches in the United States you know are dispensational pre-mill pre-true but it wasn't because they thought through it and everybody really worked it out for themselves it was just a wave that came across I believe part of that was that it ties into the American dream very good uh, along the way, and we can get into that later. Uh, sorry, I, I chased a squirrel there. Pastor way out there. Um, <laughs> yes, real quick, it seems to me that um, when you get down to verse five, you'll it, you'll find that there's already that thinking in the within the group and. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, let's go ahead. Somebody read us three, and we'll and we'll get there quickly. So sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Because what direction were they going? Up, up. Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, going up to Jerusalem. But they were going south, all right? And so in between Judea and Jerusalem is Samaria and Phoenicia. And so they're they're going through there. Now this is something that you know Mike has to work on. Mike is always you know very task oriented, mm -hmm. and sometimes I'm too task oriented that I forget other people are around me and I forget to interact with them. So this is application for Mike. Even though they're on an important mission to go to Jerusalem, they don't miss the opportunity to testify about the work of God on their way there. And again, this might not be for all of you out there, but if you're like me, you know, the application is there for you that, you know, like 
when I when I started <coughs> off doing mission trips, uh, you know, I'm like task oriented. I'm like, we're going, we're gonna get it done, and you know. I don't care about your feelings. Uh, I don't care what you're, you know, and I tell people, I'm like, don't keep up. You do what you feel that you can do. If I ask you to do something and if it's too much, just don't do it. It's okay. But inevitably, I will hurt people's feelings and they'll feel bad and, and it's, it's ugly. And so uh, Bruce Teets was one of my buddies that went on the most of my first ones. And so he'd come along and be like, my, you know, uh, I know you said that, but they didn't hear you, and you just hurt their feelings. And you know, you got to go make it right with them. And I'm just like, <clears throat> you know, on that. And uh, what a cool thing is, Jason Arnett uh, was one of those on one of the trips, and so we really didn't get along, good start off at all. Uh, but yet now, um, you know, we're very close, very tight, and he's pastoring uh, golf or not golf, you Victory Baptist Church uh, on, um, yeah, down at Hope Mills, down there. <laughs> And uh, and Rockfish Road. yeah, Rockfish Road. Thank you on that part. And uh, and and one of the great compliments that his mom gives him is that he's more and more like Michael Woods. <laughs> the funny part to that is that Miss Jan doesn't like my teachy preaching, <laughs> and so it's really not necessarily a compliment that he's more like me on that part. There, that's a whole other funny little thing in life. But so when they're when they're uh, going down there, they're stopping. And they're sharing a word of testimony. Again, the power of testimony is strong. Mm -hmm. And that's why I know I didn't do it tonight. I'll make sure I don't, you know, well, yeah. I won't be here next week. Lynn will be leading it. So uh, you still have to come back on that part. So I'll make sure Lynn will ask that question uh, on there. That, uh, how's God been at work in, through, and around you? Because the word of testimony is very powerful. And we don't need to hold it to ourselves. We need to be sharing it. Because, again, we're not bragging about ourselves. We're bragging on God using us as broken vessels uh, you know, along the way. Anything else on three? All right, somebody read four. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So paint the picture there. What is it like? Okay. <laughs> a homecoming of sort? Good. Yeah. Kind of like the like when our missionaries come to our church and let them let us know mm -hmm. what's going on in their mission field. And, and in May and in June we're going to have three and we're going to try to get some others in uh, mm -hmm. on different Sunday nights uh, through that time. And so we'll be able to have that uh, again this year. Somebody else, what do you see in that picture? So what can we take out of that picture for us as a church besides what John just said there when we have our missionary partners come back? How else could we apply that? How do you, pra how do you practically welcome them back? Hosting, mm -hmm. hospitality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hospitality was really, I wanted to get that word out there. What does it mean, hospitality? Meeting needs. Meeting needs. What else does hospitality mean? Open a home. What else is hospitality? Making them feel like it's home. Yeah. And again, back to that second command, like the first, we're to love others. Love others. Yep. And we need to be willing to be hospitable. You know, whether that's literally opening our house up or just the attitude that we have in general about making people feel at home. And so, you know, that's what we need to be trying to do. You know, as we get visitors, uh, you know, as Leslie and Tim, you know, come and, and visited with us, you know, we need to try to make sure that we're being hospitable to them you know, on that part in any way we can. Anybody else? Anything there on four? Okay, let's do five, and then we'll finish it up there. Somebody read it. Some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay. So first thing, contextually, who are these people? Pharisees. Former Pharisees. Former Pharisees. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so former Pharisees, if you're a Pharisee, what was that position? You were a leader of the synagogue or the, the Jewish faith. 
Yeah. Yeah. Teacher of the law. yeah, you're a teacher of the law, you're a leader in the synagogue, you're a leader of the worship, you're, you're leading Jewish you know, religion on that, mm -hmm. so, so you're high up there, all right? What else do we need to know about these people that, that were Pharisees? They had set traditions. Okay, hold for just a second, all right? Because we just want to clarify, when we say they were Pharisees, what do we need to make sure that we're understanding in that? They're believers. They're believers. Okay. Yeah, we need to clearly understand that they are believers. Okay. <laughs> Seemingly, the way they're living their life is faithful. Mm -hmm. People are, are visibly seeing it. Okay. So then now, what are they doing? They're still following the law. Okay. Well, their background was the law. <clears throat> you know, they were converted out of the law, you might say, mm -hmm. and rooted in that, as, as I think Donna mentioned or someone mentioned. You know, over years from you know their very beginning. So now they're they're thrust into well, they are believing in Christ, but you know they still got this baggage okay. that they're dealing with. So, being that they are saying you need to be circumcised on top of your faith, so they're teaching improper theology. Does that mean that they're not believers? No. no. How can that be? They're babies. It's like what we were saying, like what we were saying earlier, uh, culturally. The fact that uh, these these guys are Pharisees, and as Lynn had stated, they grew up from birth to this point of their salvation is the law. That's all they know that's been embedded into their brain from birth. Mm -hmm. So they're, and they're possibly wrapping that up into their theology, which is wrong, but they're wrapping it in because it's all they know. So what's application for us today in 2024 about that? It's 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 not part of salvation. Yeah, not necessarily just the circumcision part, but just the the whole situation that's going on with them. Prior to our conversion, we had we maybe we grew up in a works atmosphere or uh, training, and we got you know then we're you know we hear the the glorious gospel preached and. We place our faith and trust in Him. We have to let that go. We cannot be dragging that with us. We have to. It is simple. It's as simple. You know, it only is childlike faith. But within that, we have to be careful to not bring in baggage from before. And we need to be carefully analyzing that. What was our belief system before? What were we exposed to before? What did we experience before? And, and sift through. Now, some of maybe what we experienced, what we went through, fits the Bible, and we can take that along with us, but then we have to be able to sift out what doesn't. And that's where, you know, there's some human traditions, you know, certain things within the Bible Belt. If you grew up within the Bible Belt, within going to church, sometimes you put these, you, you know, you say, well, they don't have to deal with your salvation, but yet... You almost make it expected, though, if you're saved, then you're going to do certain things a certain way. And we got to be careful in doing that. You know, we got we got to stick to Scripture. Now, also, another point for us to understand is people that have different theology than us, and, of course, anybody that has a different theology than us, they're wrong. <laughs> no, no, amen out there. I know some of you are like me, and you were thinking it. You know, you got to at least say it there on that part there. You know, but when we meet people that have different theology than us, we can't say that that's stopping them from getting saved, and we can't make them secondary citizens in heaven just because they believe some things differently than us. And that's where, if we have the right time and the right level of relationship with them. We can talk through that with them, but yet we don't need to be going overbearing and trying to correct them to the point that we're losing our witness and our testimony to lost people that are out there. 
And so we need to be giving that grace in truth. And pastor always keeps circling us back to it's both. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, there needs to be truth, but you need to have grace along with it. And so that's where when you start being around different people that believe differently than you, you got to sift through, is this a salvation? Even though it might be a teaching about salvation, but they still could be a believer. But now since they're teaching incorrectly about salvation, you got to work on what they're teaching. You know, that, that, that is first degree. And so you need to make sure that you get them corrected on that. But again, within your relationship levels. And so that's where you often will talk about people that are Catholic. I believe that we will see many people that grew up and were within a Catholic church in heaven. I think we will not see a lot of people that were Baptist, you know, growing up in Baptist churches, not in heaven on that part. But yet within Catholicism, theologically, there are different things that are not along with the Bible. Because predominantly salvation is works-based. But yet, if somebody that was living and grew up in a Catholic church, and even though they were being taught your good has to outweigh your bad, if at some point, though, they believed in God with childlike faith, even though they were in a wrong system of theology, they can still be a believer. So again, that's application for us on the way we interact with people. I think it underscores how important discipleship is to a new uh, babe in Christ, a new believer. Um, you know, we don't have time here, but you know, when you first get saved, you are so influenced by, you know, you're euphoric over your salvation. But, but if you don't have someone there to disciple you, you can. You can take the side roads and kind of get off the main road there for a while and get, you know. So discipleship's important here. And that's why within our focus on disciple making, the Bible is central. I'm not trying to recreate other disciples that are exactly like Mike, but I'm trying to create guys that can break down scripture for understanding and application. I'm not trying to teach my theology per se, but I'm trying to teach how we break Scripture down. And that's what I'm trying to do in here. That's why we walk through uh, the way we walk through the passage. And for those that are in microgroups or if you picked up one of the orange booklets on how to study the Bible, I don't talk you through it in here like I do microgroup. In microgroup, I'm very dogmatic. We take observation, we do context, we do interpretation, we do application. And, and I make them do it in that order. So they're developing a good habit. In here, I'm doing the exact same thing. I just don't tell you that I'm doing it. I asked you questions about observation. I asked you questions about context. I asked you questions about interpretation. What is the truth? And then I asked you application questions. And so I'm doing the same four steps. I'm just not doing it as overt in front of you on that. But you're seeing it, you're tracking it. When pastor preaches or any of us preach, we do the same thing in our preaching. Those four areas are always in every message. Somebody close this up. It's time to go. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together this evening, Lord, for this time where we've been able to get into your word and and study it and and share it. Uh, We're grateful, Lord, for each one here. We pray that you get us all home safely tonight and bring us back again on Sunday. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as a commercial, if you haven't got one of the orange How to Study the Bible little booklets, there's this one, there's some on the counter back there, and in each of the little booklet racks around the church, there's some of those.
So when you read in Ephesians where we're saved by faith and we proclaim that, but we're saved by faith for good works. And so we have to have the understanding and the picture that once we believe, Sanctification is working out your faith. It's that growing in Christ like is becoming more and more of Jesus. Yes. 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 Yeah. To, to whom much is given, much will be expected. And so if you're somebody that God has entrusted with a lot of ability, you know, exposure and influence, and you're not using it, then some way, somehow, I, I don't know exactly what it's going to be. You're still going to be in heaven, like Jenny said, but it's just not going to be as... Correct. Now that's, you know, no works before salvation. Once salvation, life should be full of works. You'll know me. You'll know me.